So this semester, as we've been getting together, we've been talking about relationships. And tonight, um, we're going to be talking about dating. Um, and just want to say everything that I'm saying tonight is coming from other folks, especially Matt Howell and Justin Clement. And everything we've talked about this semester um, starts with a presupposition. And that, that presupposition is that our true humanity, um, we become fully human when our lives orbit around God. We become fully human when our lives revolve around God. And this, this has massive implications for our lives. It means that um, becoming a Christian always includes a radical reordering of everything in your life. Not to get God, not in order to get God to accept you, but because God has accepted you in Christ. And you've been convinced that following him is worth it. So tonight as we talk about dating, um, we're going to be talking about dating as followers of Jesus. Um, and part of the radical reorientation of our lives that Jesus calls us to involves our dating or includes our dating relationships. And I totally understand that for our non-Christian friends, a lot of what I'm going to say tonight sounds crazy. Um, and so for those of you who are here with us and you're not Christians, um, we're so glad that you're here. And as you listen in on our conversation about dating, the question that I want you to wrestle with is actually bigger than this. Um, here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Is Jesus God in the flesh? Did Jesus resurrect from the dead? Um, if not, then who cares about what he has to say about our relationships and marriage and our sexuality? But if he did rise from the dead... If he is God in the flesh, then he has something to say to every part of our lives, not just our relationships and our sexuality. So sort of one way you could put what we're doing this semester is we are investigating together what it looks like to articulate the reality of Jesus' resurrection in the midst of our relationships. So tonight we're going to do this by looking at Luke 9, verses 23 through 25. This is printed on your bulletins. Um, you can follow along there. Um, I'm going to read this for us. This is Luke 9, 23 through 25. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you do speak through your word, and we pray that you would do that tonight, that we would hear you and um, hear the wisdom that you have for us about um, our relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so uh, there's a great movie that came out, I think it was like 10 years ago, called March of the Penguins. Did y'all see this? Okay, good. Great movie, right? Penguins in Antarctica. Love penguins. And it is the most amazing picture of sacrificial love. All right? So these penguins, these, these emperor penguins, they trek up to, to 75 miles inland to these breeding colonies to breed. And then the, the females lay a single egg. And then the females all go back 75 miles to the ocean because all they eat is fish and they need food for their babies. And then the dads, you remember, they balance the egg on their feet, and then they lower their gut on top of it, and it's in this extreme winter, and then they wait, right? They wait all winter. They balance the egg for 64 days until it hatches, and the males will have fasted for 150 days, 115 days, and they huddle together to survive the Antarctic winter. 
120 mile per hour winds are regular. Average temp is about negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit. And you just stand, like the, the, the males just stand there and take it, right? All for the sake of protecting the life of their child. And then the chick is born about the time that the mom comes back with fish to feed them. And then dad goes off for three weeks. And then they just take turns going back and forth until the chick is strong enough to head to the sea. And I want to say that that is a picture for us of, of sacrificial love. And it's also a picture for us of maturity. Um, it's actually very, uh, it's a very good picture for us of the biblical picture of maturity. Because what would happen if the emperor penguins were primarily concerned with preserving their own lives? Right? They'd all be dead within one generation. The way that they preserve the life of their community is that they lose their life to serve others. And that way everyone lives, everyone prospers. If the mom stayed at the ocean eating, the chick would die. And this great picture shows us both sin and maturity in contrast. Sin, one way of thinking about it, is it's living in a way to promote yourself, to preserve your own life, to live for your own glory. Sin is what we do for us to make us feel good, to advance our, advance our status. So think about the things that are self-centered in each of us, our love of money, pursuit of status, of sex, of success. And when you live in order to get more and more of these things, you end up losing yourself. You end up forfeiting your soul. It literally destroys you. And contrast that with the life of maturity, the life where you sacrifice what you want in order to serve others. And this is where you find life, where you find meaning and purpose and peace and joy. So as we talk about dating tonight, I've got an outline. It's on your handout. Answer the question, what is maturity? How does maturity determine when we date? And how does maturity determine who we date? So a simple definition of maturity for us tonight is that maturity is resisting the urge to put yourself first. This means maturity is cultivating an enormous amount of self-control in regards to your desires and impulses. Um, one place you, easy to see maturity is a parent with their children. So contrast me and Mary Landon, my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, we have the exact same impulses. Um, you know, if we could, we would both eat ice cream at every meal, and we would both sit on the couch all day watching television, right? The difference, also, we also would both scream when we don't get what we want. Um, the only difference is maturity. Like, that's the only difference between the two of us in that. Maturity is saying no to yourself for Jesus. And this is hard. One of the reasons this is hard is that we live in a yes culture, right? If you want it, you're told that you can have it as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. But what Jesus is saying in Luke 9 is that saying yes all the time actually causes harm and destruction and pain. Maturity means that we say no to ourselves. So Jesus says in verse 23, it's this self-denial. Um, and this means no, it means saying no in the places where we're tempted, the places we're tempted um, with sex and with, with hatred and um, the, tempted to cut corners in order to succeed, we're tempted to gossip. Maturity leads to a freedom that comes from obedience, which is um, that freedom is peace with ourselves and a purity of our consciences and harmony in our relationships, meaning and purpose in our lives, um, trust in God. And maturity, I want to say, defines and determines how we date. Last week, Sam preached and he ended his sermon on dating with this statement. He said, if you are ready to die, you are ready to date. And that's a call to maturity. So how do you do it? How do you date with maturity? Well, to give you this proposition, um, what if you viewed your girlfriend 
or your boyfriend um, as your roommate's future spouse? What if you viewed your girlfriend or your boyfriend as your roommate's future spouse? How would that change the way that you date? I mean, could you be her bridesmaid and look her in the eye and say, I treated him right, I took good care of him? Um, So how does that land with you? I mean, for some of you all, this probably makes you feel an immense amount of guilt and shame because you haven't treated your girlfriend or your boyfriend that way. And y'all, that's why Jesus had to come. He came to forgive your guilt and to heal your shame. And for some of you, you hear that statement with cynicism. Deep down, you long for someone to treat you with that dignity. You long for a man to see you as worthy of respect and honor like that, and you don't believe that it's possible. Well, I want to tell you, it is possible. Um, Aim in that direction. So a couple suggestions for dating with maturity. These might sound crazy, um, but you can do it. Um, And I'm going to give you a script for this. Um, And the reason for this is that a lot of the important things that we do in life actually have a script. Like, um, if, you go to the, if you go to court, right, the judge actually, you actually have, you recite the script back when you take an oath. Like, oaths have a script. Marriage, the whole thing's a script. Like, you, next time you go to a wedding, you see this. The people who are getting married never actually make up anything on their own. They're all reciting something that they hear from someone else. Children with manners is a script, right? We're constantly telling our kids, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, please, thank you. Like, the, the important things we learn in life have a script, and that's okay. That's a, that's a good way for us to learn to learn things. So here is a script for dating. Um, Fellas, first, um, ask her out in person. Please don't text. Don't do it over Snapchat. If you want her to say yes, ask her out in person. Second, ask her on a real date. Say something like, hi, girl. Um, (laughs) Hey, girl. Hi, girl. Can I take you out to dinner? I just had a blank space there. Um, Hi, friend, can I take you out to dinner? And now girls, if a boy asks you on a date, please say yes. Um, Even if you have no interest in being in a relationship with this particular boy, say yes. I know um, you're worried about sending mixed signals. You can say, hey, I'm not really interested in being in a relationship right now, um, but I would love to have dinner with you. You can acknowledge how scary it is to ask a girl out. In case you didn't know it, it terrifies us. Like, it's really scary to ask a girl out. And guys, if she says no, don't pout. Don't stalk her. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Respect her wishes. Don't make things weird by unfollowing her on social media or avoiding her at RUF. (laughs) Roommates and friends, please don't talk about it. Um, and guys, be thoughtful. You know, vacuum your car. Have a plan for the date. Open her door. Have a plan for what you're going to do. And then after the date, walk her to her door. Say thank you. And if you'd like to take her out again, say something like this. I would like to take you out again. <laughs> I mean, communication is so easy, right? Such a surprise. Um, and if not, you can say something like, if, if you don't want to take them out again, you can say something like, thank you for going on a date with me. Um, and the reason is she's, she's totally worth it. I mean, she is precious to Jesus. She is your sister in Christ. And I know that, all, that some of you feel a lot of pressure around dating. Um, guys, some of you are really scared to ask a girl out. And um, I've shared this with some of you, but I think one of the reasons is that often we see dating kind of like college football. So if you think about a college football schedule, you've got 12 games in a season, right? 
And if you lose one game, you are out of the playoffs. There's no chance. Unless you're Alabama, and guys, let's face it, none of us are Alabama. Um, so, I know it hurts, but it's true. So, um, instead of thinking about college football as your paradigm, think instead about Major League Baseball. So, Colorado Rockies this year, 162 games in the baseball season, they lost 75 of their games. That's a 53% winning percentage, and they still made it into the playoffs. Um, what if that was your framework for dating? rather than college football? What if instead of thinking, man, if this girl doesn't say yes, like I'm waiting because she doesn't say yes, everything's ruined. What if you said, hey, I've got 162 games. She can say no 75 times and I can say I'm still good to go, right? How much, how much more freeing is that? How much more liberating is that to date that way? Okay. Probably don't ask the same girl out 75 times. Say that. Um, okay, so... When should we date? Next question is, when should we date? Um, well, the first time I asked Mary Clark out, um, she said to me, I'm not going to date you unless you're thinking about marriage. And I said, uh, um, sure, I actually don't remember that conversation. Um, so why did she say that to me? Why did she, why did she say that to me? It's because she didn't want me to waste her time, right? She didn't want me to waste her time. And do you ever wonder why dating relationships of adults don't last as long as dating relationships in college? Or why you hear about people dating for seven months and then getting married? I mean, we dated for nine months before we got engaged. Um, my assumption is that, is that you don't want to get married until after you graduate. Maybe for some of you, you don't want to get married until way after you graduate. So I want to give you a scenario of how I see... Just a made-up scenario. It's completely made up. I promise. It's completely made up. Um, we're going to take a made-up freshman couple. Completely made up. So they meet at a party. They're texting. They're hanging out. And one of them says, hey, I want to take it slow, which is code. You guys know this code for let's crank this into high gear. And <laughs> inevitably, the first kiss happens. And it's magical, right? Time seems to stand still. And then all of a sudden you realize that you've been making out for three hours in the basement of Deke. And you're like, oh no, did anybody see us? And yes, everyone saw you. It's on like 10 Instagram stories. Um, so I want to take a moment and... I want to take a moment and just talk honestly with you about what kissing does. Um, I want you to think of your relationships as a train that is docked at a station on the top of a mountain. And life at the station is pretty good. Your friendship is growing. You're getting to know one another's stories. You're starting to share your hopes and dreams. You're going on dates. You're starting to really care about each other. And way down the mountain, way at the bottom of the valley of the mountain, is sex and commitment and marriage. You're not ready to get anywhere close to that. And then you kiss. And kissing starts the motor on the train and gets it going down the side of the mountain. And this locomotive weighs 28,000 pounds, and it is careening down the mountain towards sex, commitment, and marriage. Now imagine that as the train screams wildly down the mountain, you pull the emergency brake to lock the wheels and the, tr and the train. And if you're lucky, the train screeches to a halt. And then you climb out and you start to push the train back up to the station. And you get tired on the way, so you don't manage to get it all the way back up to the station. So when you climb back inside, you're already halfway down. 
And then you start careening again back down the mountain towards sex, commitment, and marriage. And then you apply the brake again, but this time it's a little overheated. It takes a little longer to work, so you go a little further this time. And then you stop and you try to push the 28,000-pound train back up again. I mean, do you see what's happening? Over time, your ability to stop the train becomes less and less. And this is if both of you, both people are trying to apply the brake. And both people are pushing the train. What if one of you isn't very enthusiastic about pulling the emergency brake? Then it's even more difficult. This is why all of a sudden two well-meaning, church-going people who always planned on waiting until marriage for sex are all the way down the mountain with no ability at all to stop the train. And now you might be thinking, come on, John, it's just a kiss. It's so far from sex. It can go on for a little while and never lead to anything else. You're wrong. But am I wrong? Um, You won't tell me how far, you won't hear me tell you how far is too far. Um, That's a question for each of you to honestly wrestle with. And I also would say there are non-sexual forms of kissing. I mean, I kiss my children. But in a dating relationship, if you're not careful, simple, innocent kissing will eventually push the train over the edge of the mountain and it will be very difficult to stop it. And if your train is running away, thank God that there is grace and forgiveness. And when we grow in maturity, when we're willing to take a step back and pause and get the train back to the stop, the top of the station and settle back into dating in a healthy way. All right, so that's my thing on kissing. Um, just to say, be careful. So let's go back to this made-up freshman couple. They're hanging out. They're texting. They're going on dates. They're starting to really like each other. What does maturity look like for them? Well, remember what dating is for. Dating is, is it's trying on another person for marriage. So when you find someone who is special, someone who you want to bind yourself to in a covenant of marriage, you can pursue that together. And so maturity means that if you are a freshman or a sophomore in your dating, you have one of three options. First, don't date until you're ready to pursue marriage. Um, Maturity might mean saying no to dating, even if you found someone you like. Because if you're not ready to head towards marriage, what is the purpose? It may be an immature purpose based on me getting what I want when I want it. Um, The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7 says this. It says, don't awaken love until it's ready. Um, Not until you're ready, not until love is ready. Uh, Second option is to date radically differently. Take to heart what we've been saying and talking about this semester and try to engage in a dating friendship where you grow close as friends and you enjoy each other as friends and you resist building your relationship on physical intimacy. And the third option um, is to get married. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is crystal clear about what we should do if we can't control our physical passions in a relationship. He tells the church to get married. And I've known a handful of couples that have gotten married in college. Um, And this is God's answer to our inability to control our physical passions. So that's maturity and when to date. Um, Third point tonight is who should I date? And so simply put, date the person, the type of person that you want to marry. You are crazy if you think there's a difference between who you date and who you marry. Logically, you marry who you date. Well, then who should I marry? If you are a Christian, the Bible calls you to marry another committed Christian. So this raises the question, can Christians date non-Christians? So I'm going to quote from Tim Keller on this, who was a pastor up in New York. And he he says this, he said, I always hear people say you shouldn't date a non-Christian if you are a Christian. 
And that's an example of people trying to be safe and people going beyond Scripture. The Bible is silent on dating because dating didn't exist when the Bible was written. But here's the problem. If you get to the place where you'd like to marry someone and that person doesn't share your commitment to Christ, you begin to see the problem. You can't go forward. And the reason you can't go forward is this. When the other person says, oh, I don't practice your religion, I won't keep you from practicing your religion, but I just don't have your religion. What this means is that the person looks into your heart and sees the thing that is the most important thing in the world to you, and she doesn't get it. What that means is it's ultimately a loss of intimacy. The non-Christian is looking into your heart of hearts, and they don't get it. It doesn't matter if they support it. They don't get it. And if you're a Christian and you're dating someone who doesn't share your beliefs, if you feel like right now you're really close, but when she looks at the thing that really motivates you, that really gets you going, and she doesn't understand it, the thing that is your very heart of hearts, but she doesn't understand it, what that means is that she doesn't understand you. It doesn't matter how many things you have in common. It doesn't matter if you have romantic chemistry. These things feel like the most important things, but in reality they mask the fact that at the heart level she doesn't understand you. And if she doesn't understand you in the long run, there's only two things you can do. You can pursue intimacy with her by pushing God away and putting her at the center. Or you can put God at the center of your life and then she'll be on the outskirts. And this doesn't mean that you won't have a fairly okay marriage. Um, The reason that the Bible appeals to you to not marry someone you know doesn't have the same belief system is because it knows that one or the other will happen. It doesn't mean that you won't be a Christian, but it means that you won't be able to talk or think God-centeredly with your spouse. Does this make sense? You guys following me with this? Um, You'll be making a decision and you'll have a reason to do something because it's based on God, but you won't be able to talk with her about it because she'll just roll her eyes. And so what you end up having to do is you don't stop being a Christian, but you push God out of being the center of life and you push him into the periphery. Instead of being downtown, he gets pushed out into the suburbs. And if you want to share your heart of hearts with your husband all the time, you're going to have to make God a little less important or your husband is just going to be bummed out. Either you push God away and your husband or wife ends up being the person you're most intimate with, or God is who you're most intimate with, and they get pushed to the periphery. And then you're stuck. So if you're dating a non-Christian, the most merciful thing that you can do, if you're a Christian and you're dating a non-Christian, the most merciful thing that you can do is be articulate about it. Lay out something along the lines of what I've just said and be articulate about it. You can't just say... Um, you don't have my beliefs. That just sounds narrow-minded. Say something like this. Say, let's just be practical. If nine times out of ten when I'm making a major decision, I'm thinking about God, and you wouldn't even understand that when we make decisions together, I'm going to have to hide from you the most important thing in my life, and you don't want that. So either you start moving toward the same belief I have, or we won't be able to move forward in our relationship. And y'all, I know this is a really hard conversation. I know it's painful. I know it's difficult. But being articulate in your relationships will lead to joy. And it will lead to peace. But the alternative to this, staying in the relationship and turning your back on Christ, is living in an impossibility. So if your choice is between the hard thing and the impossible thing, I'd choose the hard thing. And the longer you put this off, the worse it will be. But Jesus will be there to catch you. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, 
I would, I would actually advise you not to date a Christian for the same reason. Because the center of your life is something different. So who should you date? Um, if you're a Christian, you should date someone who is growing in their maturity and their relationship with Jesus. Somebody who is growing in grace. Someone who is willing to deny themselves, finding Jesus more and more beautiful and good and life-giving. And I just want to acknowledge again how, um, how hard this is, especially in a culture that thinks what I'm saying tonight is crazy. Like, I know how crazy this sounds to um, probably pretty much everybody who's not in this room. So what assurance do you have that this will work out for you? If you do this, what assurance do you have that this will work out for you? To say no to somebody you want. Well, the assurance we have is that the greatest act of love in the history of the world was an act of saying no. Jesus said no to his life and glory in heaven and was born as a mortal man. Jesus said no to a life of comfort and instead devoted his life to serving others. Jesus said no to his very life. He said, I'll say no and I'll lay my life down. Why? It's because through self-denial, through his death, comes life. Through his death comes peace. Through his death comes forgiveness. Through his death comes the hope of eternal glory. The, the trust and strength that it takes to say no comes from the love of our Savior in his death for us. And I know I haven't answered every question about dating, and I've probably raised some more questions for you and if you want to talk more about this, please come talk to me or send me an email. Um, I would love to talk with you about this and disagree with you about this and listen to you um, about this. But here's what I know for certain. As we find our life in Jesus, as we abide in his love, as we mold the way that we date off of the gospel of grace that says no to ourselves and yes to Christ, though that road... Um, Though that road may be marked with suffering, it will be blessed with all goodness. Let me pray.